Good evening. There we go. I'd like to greet each one of you in Christ's name this evening. I do ask an interest in your prayers as we again look into God's Word. I agree 100% with our brother tonight. Um, this is not a coincidence. Um, I feel kind of guilty, but I think sometimes we're getting a lot bigger blessing than what you all are. Um, we're come in this building several nights ago, only knowing Dennis's a little bit. We knew them mostly by face, and we now are developing friendships, and uh, those are things you can't put any economics on. And uh, it's been a time of encouragement, exactly what we have needed. So uh, again, it's been a great blessing for us. Interestingly, there is a French writer by the name of Voltaire who had wrote over 2,000 books between the late 1600s and 1778. He made a prediction that within 200 years, the Bible would no longer be in circulation and nobody would know about the Bible. My question to you all is, how many of you have any of Altair's writings in your homes? How many Bibles? Have you all got Bibles? Yeah. You want to know something a little more interesting? After Voltaire had passed away, you know what? You want to know what happened? Well, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and they put a printing press in their printing Bibles. And hundreds of thousands of Bibles have been distributed out of Voltaire's house and hardly anybody knows that French writer today. Guess what? We have the Word today and we know it's going to stand from here, from this point on. So, again, we are privileged to uh, look into God's Word. Uh, real quickly, um, before we go into Genesis, if you will turn real quickly to Matthew 24. This is where I've gotten the title of the uh, message tonight. Jesus is speaking here. And He is speaking about the end times and what to be looking for. So, interestingly, one of the things is, is that I spoke last night about the word and. The word and many times represents the, represents the uh, present. And the present in all reality is what hooks the past to the future. And as we go to the future, many times we look back at what? The past for decisions. And so, in all reality, I'm not a prophet tonight by any chance. I don't consider my pro- me a prophet. And, but we can look in the past, and this is what Jesus is doing, is He's saying it's going to be like something, the future is going to be like something in the past. Matthew 24, verse 37, it says, But as the days... Let, let me just back up one verse. But of that day, this is verse 36 of chapter 24, it says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord hath come. I've entitled the message this evening, As in the Days of Noah. Let's go back to the days of Noah. Let's go back to Genesis. And we're going to figure out what was going on in the days of Noah and make some comparisons. Now, before we go into reading it, and I was going to do this, and uh, I chose my ignorance. I, I thought there's, I'm used to Ohio where there's a store in about every corner, and uh, even though we're eating at Denny's. Um, I got that education real quick, but I'll let him tell you all that. I don't want don't to rob him of his, of his glee. But anyhow, um, if I took a jar, let's say a pint jar, and I put in marbles, and I put in red, I put in green, a row of green, and I put in a row of blue, and I put in another row of purple, and just did that until I filled that jar almost full. And those colors would all be pretty much all in layered. They looked really good. And I would start, and I would grab that jar, and I would start shaking it. How long would it take for that jar to go back to the same color variation? Ten years? Twenty years? Won't happen, will it? Evolutionists said... It can go in as chaos and shaking, it'll come out pretty much right on, right? But we know that never happens. What has to happen for that to again be in the right order? We have to simply dump it back out and start all over again. Why did it take years and years of construction for the Twin Towers, but only a few hours for that thing to tumble down? I want to ask a number of these questions for us to understand some of these, some of these concepts that we're going to be looking at. If you took a brand new vehicle, took it straight off the lot, and you drove it in the middle of one of your fields, and you left it there for the next 10 years, what would you find in 10 to 20 years? You're going to basically find what? Metal on top of rotted out tires. You would in Ohio anyhow. But then why couldn't you take tires or rubber and take some steel, put it out in the middle of the field, and in about 50 years find a nice new vehicle out there? We take it for granted. It's not going to happen, is it? Why do our children's rooms, you as children, maybe you, you all are a little different than ours, but I think I even remember being a boy too. Why do the rooms not just clean themselves? Maybe one day, it's all picked up. 
Neat as a pen, never did anything. Don't happen, does it? Somehow it seems like they get messy on their own, don't it? A child left to himself, just whatever he wants to do ever in life, does he ever become a great individual? And we see a lot of times the results of that. You see, man without maintenance and without God, he ends up very quickly like the Twin Towers. You see, one of the things is, is that it teaches us that it takes energy to push back against chaos. It takes the energy to push back against those things and bring order to life. Between the time of Adam and Noah, obviously there was not much energy exerted at all of pushing back and keeping order. Maybe getting ahead of myself real quickly, before we get into chapter 5, one of the things is real quickly, and you don't have to turn right back to it, but it wouldn't take very much. If you go back to chapter 1, in verse 2 it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. If you would look this up in Hebrew, it would say basically that it was chaotic. And God then brought order to this. God created and God again not only spoke words, but He was also set an example and He brought order to chaos. Now, let's go to Genesis 5. And I know you're going to look at this and say, where in the world can we get anything out of this? But you just hang on a while and you'll find out. I wondered that too as I did the study. But remember again, God, when He gave the Word, wasn't trying to fill in spaces and make things poetic. There is a reason why God put everything in the Scripture as He did. So we see here in five. In chapter 5, it says, starting in verse 1, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of man of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years, and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And the name, days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived, after he begat Enos, eight hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years, and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan, 
815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahachalil. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahachalil. 840 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalil lived 60 and 5 years, and begat Jared. And Mahalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalil were 890 and 5 years, and he died. And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years, and he began Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived in 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred and ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to stop right there for now. Now, you may be looking at this and saying, okay, what can we get from begat, 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 okay? Have you ever wondered, as you looked at this, he names a son, and then he goes and says, and then he begat many sons and daughters. Why did he not name everybody? You name one, why not name them all? Something that we need to remember is many times when you go through the begats, most of those names mean something. And most of the time, when the meaning of these names are talking about an era of when they were born in. We had talk about the baby, the baby boomers, okay? And, and so on and so forth, the millennials. In a sense, that is what this was. Now, we notice here that Canaan means material acquisition. Acquiring materially. After him came along Mahachalel, and his name means spiritual searching or craving. And Jared means to descend or decline.
Now, good, you all have a board. I'm going to use it. This is what we're going to call light. This is the best that I know how to describe this. As life goes on, there is always a cycle that is happening in life. From the very beginning, and this is showing us a cycle that was happening at the very beginning as we look at the names. You see, in creation... We normally have several points. We notice here at the beginning of creation, what provisions did they have? They basically had their food, they had their water, and maybe at best, shelter. They had basically a base part of life, just their basic needs met. But then as time went on and as, as they lived, we now have material acquisition. Don't look at my handwriting. And then after this, they are looking for something spiritual, something that is gratifying after this. Then we have what? We have then Jared, who is on a decline. And what happens then after the decline, we talk about, remember, emptying out the jar. We then have normally destruction. Look into the scripture and we look into Israel. And you will find normally this cycle happening pretty much all the time does not mean the time span needs to be exact because those time spans have varied anywhere from within 50 years to several hundred years. But you look at this happening, you look at it in Israel, maybe over the time of Solomon, where, where uh, there was basically, over David's time, you basically had the base... Um, their basic needs met with Solomon. Things were getting better. And literally, we had a time when the temple was built. Things were seemingly, you people were paying attention. But God had even given a warning over that time of, of Israel forgetting him. Then you have a decline. Then you have, again, destruction. And then you have men at base repenting. And we see that cycle again. <clears throat> we see that in, I'm just going to bring out a little bit of history. And uh, I didn't have the time today to brush up on my history again. But we see that in, especially because we are the Mennonite Church, we see that in the Mennonite Church in Russia in the 1700s, Catherine the Great had invited the Russians to come over because of the persecution they were facing, and I believe it was Perugia. And they were then invited to come over and start farming. They came basically with just the things that they had on their back. And guess what? Before long, they became very, very wealthy. 
And some of those Russian Mennonites also went into Germany as well. Very wealthy people. Extremely wealthy. But as time came on, went on, their decline spiritually was very great. In fact, if you go into some of the history, even over into Germany especially, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all the detail, but there were Mennonite youth who were not being taught what the truth was, basically tradition only, and without realizing they got caught up in the communistic ways of life in Russia and with the uh, Red Army and also in Germany, to the point that without even realizing what they were doing, they got caught up in the Nazi army, and some of them were guilty of simply persecuting their own along with the Jews. Would have never guessed that would have ever happened a hundred years before. And it happened. I'm going to bring this a little closer home to us, because now... I don't think any of us would argue that we are in the days of Noah. But let me get into this just a little bit closer. We now have a cycle that is happening around us. What happened in the 1930s? Stock market crash. Stock market crash, exactly. And it was the Great Depression. Where did that put you? That put it right here in the base. People were just happy to at least have something to eat, correct? They were just glad if they could have a home, have four walls around them. They were thankful for that. And then we had World War II that came in. And after World War II, I believe in the late 1940s, well, World War II had ended before that, but men came back and were trying to basically make up for lost time And before long, from the 1940s, early 1950s, in no time, many men had way more than what they needed. They acquired materially in no time. Because the economical balances, they were able to now have, not only be happy to have one car, but many of them had two cars. Many of them had more food than ever had to think about going hungry anymore. They had above what they needed. And then we go into the late 50s, 60s, and 70s. What happened? We had two extremes. We had a lot of big-time revivals, and we had the hippie movement. And with the hippie movement came... Drugs and alcohol, and is there any wonder why alcohol is called spirits? You understand? Now we have people who realize that the materialism, there is no satisfaction. We have youth that realize that there is no true satisfaction in that. And now they are looking for something to fill a void. And then what do we have after that? We are in the decline. And I don't think we can argue, anybody can argue against that. <clears throat> the question is, this is a statistic. 
Does that mean that you and I have to follow a statistic? God has never ever robbed us of you and I. He has never robbed us of our choice. We've always had a choice. When BMW, I have been told, when BMW decides to to uh, advertise in the uh, Super Bowl, they take a poll of how many cars they believe they're going to sell. Does that mean that everybody is going to buy a car? No. Does not mean everybody has to become a statistic in that. <clears throat> You see, one of the things is, is that following, when we follow our instincts, things go bad. Okay, let's go back here real quickly. Um, we notice here that he talks of a decline. What happened at the decline? Now, if you look here in over the time of Jared, this was over the decline one of the things that had happened soon after is Lamech in chapter 4, it says here that he took unto him, and he's the first one that's mentioned, took two wives. Now, I'm going to stick my foot out a little bit. Remember I said that God's plan for man cannot be improved upon, it can only be built upon. If God's plan was for two wives, he would have made two Eves. Lamech apparently thought if one was really good, what about two? Let's make an improvement here. But we notice at this point now we have a really steep decline after this. So any time that it is believed to be able to improve upon God's plan. And homosexual marriage, by the way, same-sex marriage people are trying to do that. Very blatantly, that is trying to tell God, we know a little bit better. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on, on a message ahead of us. But that is exactly what is happening today. No plan can be better than God's original plan. <clears throat> So we see a beginning of a decline. <clears throat> now, let's go to the next chapter. Now that we have this established, we have the cycle established, now we're going, we're going toward the bottom end. Let's go ahead and read the first eight verses of chapter six. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wise of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days 
And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord now interestingly where I stopped actually in the Torah there is 62 different what they call sedras there is divisions and and it is the way it is uh, put up is that in the original Torah, is that there, the point is being, a general point is being made. And the first sedra is literally from Genesis 1 until 6-8. A general story is given in this, a general lesson is given. Now, I'm just saying that for whatever it's worth. But we go back here to the sons of God, and this is actually a translation from the Hebrew... And I've heard a number of other people trying to make that translation, but it's actually in Hebrew is power. The sons of power, those who were in authority. Many people have tried to make this a spiritual thing, but that is really what, in Hebrew, that is really what it is saying, is they were sons of power, or if you would think of lords in, in some of the other countries that they would have is what it is referring to. And it says here that they were marrying daughters of men. Those who were literally had lost a moral compass at this point. <clears throat> it says here in verse 2 that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them Wives of which they chose. We notice here, first of all, one of the things that was happening is that they were basically the the um, elite people and they were no longer getting married with a relationship but simply because of looks only. Okay? Nothing wrong with getting married to somebody who you think is beautiful or else I'd be unscriptural. We'd all probably would be. But... When that is the only thing, that is where the decline is because of them losing their moral compass. Now we have here, we think of it as a repeat, but it is not. It says here, it says again in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, or actually mighty men in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, talking of a next era, and at this point today we would call it shacking up. Marriage is no longer mentioned in that verse. This is now a, a uh, I don't know what word to use, I hate to call it progression, but a progression towards sin. Does this sound anything like what there we live in at all? Does it strike any resemblance? I would have to say we're living right smack dab in that. Now, God here, interestingly, in Hebrew, 
in 7 to 9 where it says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. And then it talks about in verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In Hebrew, that would mean mercy. It is spelled out in a way that would mean mercy. But when we go on into the upcoming verses, and we're going to go ahead and read those where it says, in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and perfect, just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And I'm going to stop right there. When... From this point on, God's name is spelled out as judgment. First of all, mercy, and now he is spelled out as judgment through this. Now, we come to the conclusion that we live in the time of Noah, the same as in the days of Noah. What is now the action that we take? That we have come to this process, we have come to this understanding. The beautiful message of it all is, is that this era that we're seeing here is, is that we're not caught somewhere in here, but we're caught in here, and the beauty of it is, is that Noah sets a perfect example in the scripture. Absolutely perfect, and there's so much that is in a way hidden, and yet can come out so good. One of the things is, is that a lot of times we subconsciously think that Noah was called after his sons were born. But if you do the math, actually his sons, I believe, were just about, were, it was right before his sons were born, if the math is done correctly. What is unique about that? Why did God not just all of a sudden miraculously put a big ark right out here and he can jump in it, it can rain, and it's all over with? But rather there was a ark, there was a plan for an ark and Noah had to start building and planning and building this ark. And I want us to understand the very fact that Noah could not build that ark in his closet. He couldn't build that ark in his garage, didn't fit in his basement. It had to be out there for the whole world to see. And because of that, Noah now became a what? He became a radical. Because it never rained. And Noah is saying, it's going to rain. And everybody else, if going against Noah, said, he's got to be totally crazy. One of the things that has stood out to me, if you look over here in, in verse... 10. It says, Noah, first of all, if you look back in chapter 5, verse 32, it just simply talks about his offspring. It just says, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then we see a repetition, we think of it as a repetition. In verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, and Noah begat three sons. To raise sons 
is a lot harder than to start offspring. Right? To have sons, to raise sons, takes effort for a father. <clears throat> a man one time asked a rabbi, an old rabbi, he said, How soon should I teach my son the truth and the word? And the rabbi smiled at him and he said, Before he's born. In other words, teach yourself. First of all, where you're going to stand and know where you're going to stand and stand where you know, first of all. Again, it's a little like I said again. He raised these boys and I had to think as these boys were teenagers and as they were building that ark, maybe I'm letting my imagination go, but they had to be normal teenagers. They had to, I would think, ask Dad, come on, aren't you, don't you think you're dreaming? Don't you think maybe you had a little bit something extra to drink or something that didn't agree with you one night and you had a dream? Everybody else says it's not going to happen. We've never seen rain before. Are you sure? But there had to be something of conviction within Noah because we see that when it came time to board that ark, we don't see Noah dragging his sons in that ark. We see all three sons walking into that ark and we would have to conclude that Noah had such a conviction that it literally became something that his sons would grab a hold of and follow him into that ark. That ark that was out there and made him look like a radical man was literally the vessel to safety. The very thing that made him stand out to be different than anybody else was his vessel to safety. What is our vessel to safety today? A uh, Reformed Judaism German founder, Moses Embolism. Now, Reformed Judaism is basically like uh, modern-day Christianity. is where you just need to believe it, and you don't need to live it. Moses used to tell his boys in Germany... He says, you be a Jew at home and you be a German out on the street. Can you guess how many boys of his six boys followed the Jewish ways? One. And it has been said already that you can be a Christian at home and you can be a regular American out on the street. I'd like to know that success. You know, I've had a good conversation with some of you, and our, 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 I realize our dress is not our salvation. But I do strongly believe our salvation will reflect how you and I dress. And you know, as the world continues to go down that path, 
the farther apart we tend to be. And you and I will stick out sometimes like a sore thumb. And that's not all bad. And I want to encourage us as, as youth and young folks to, it is good for us to be asked questions. I actually enjoy it because it challenges me. When I was a youth, I had to be in a baptismal service of a very plain church. And I remember blatantly hearing the bishop tell us, or tell the youth, it doesn't matter if you don't understand the covering. It doesn't matter if you don't understand those things, just so you do it. And is there any wonder today that they hardly, you can hardly tell the difference between them and the world 20 years later? You and I need to know why we do what we do. Again, you and I need to learn to, to know where we stand, but very importantly, to stand where we know. Because it is actually, believe it or not, can be our vessel to safety. Believe it or not. Praying in public. I don't believe in praying just to be seen. But should there be a shame as a family if we're at a restaurant? Should there be any shame in praying? I would say absolutely not. Because we show that shame to our children, what do we expect them to take on? If they don't see the conviction in, in mom and dad. I think of that many a time as I look at back at my parents. They were far from perfect. Not even close. But that is one thing I would, I've always appreciated looking back at my dad is that he always was willing to stand where he knew in every aspect of life. Whether I agreed, whether his children agreed, he was willing to do that. And I look back and realize in so many ways that was an arc of safety. What about the, the, uh, the hesitancy of saying Merry Christmas in case I offend someone. What about that? You see, one of the modern day thinking is, I want my children to be happy. And we all have that desire. To see our children happy. It should be a part of a father and mother. But one of the things is that we need to understand very clearly is that my desire is that my children would know where they stand and that they could develop a backbone. And the world is crying for men with backbone. Majorly. And we'll be looking into that a little bit more as we look into God's creation and marriage. But my plea with us today is that we would know where we stand. And the only way we can do that is to be firmly grounded in the Scripture and to know the Scripture, know why we do what we do. Something that is beyond just because it's a tradition. Again, this is normally history of what happens but it doesn't have to happen because you and I don't have to be a statistic because God is gracious enough to allow us
to make our own decisions. And not only that, but God has also given us grace. He's given us strength. He's given us His Holy Spirit to direct us through all decisions of life. And as we as fathers, my plea is that we would consider this. Consider our families. I'm not a perfect dad. And I think all of us dad would say that. But my desire is, is that we would stand on the truth. Firmly fixed on the truth. Because that is the ark of safety. Okay, it is time to close. Again, I want to thank you all for your attention. And I invite you to come back praying again tomorrow. Let's stand for a word of prayer.